Well, you know, it's about living and dying, and I've been to a lot of nursing homes, and I'm thinking that I'm going to be elderly someday, and I'm learning how to be that elderly, how to live and die and and be at peace. Mm-hmm. They talk about a good death and a bad death, and some people aren't haven't come to terms with things, and some people have, and I want to be the kind that has. It has come to terms right. with and, um Yeah, and I think everyone has a right to choose how they want to die, very much so. Um, personally, I don't want to die in a hospital. I want to die surrounded by people who love me and who care about me. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that that doesn't happen in a hospital, but they're so busy. They're running around, you know, mm-hmm. all the time. Um, so that might be part of what draws me so strongly to hospice. Mm-hmm. Welcome to episode one of the Lumina Hospice and Palliative Care podcast. My name's Bob Madar, and I'm the host of these programs. We just heard from Jolene and Kayla, two people who work with hospice to provide support both to patients at the end of their lives and the family members who love and care for them. Next, I would like to introduce you to Marcia, the hospice chaplain. Well, you work with people to try to... Um at the end of life, help them to realize in very practical ways how their lives have had meaning. You know, I mean, that's what all of us want, of course, <laughs> to know that our lives have meaning. So how, how, do you, how do you do that? And oftentimes it's through life review. You know, you go back and you, you start talking about the things they've done. Um, and then even as they get in, in the years that we say are, quotes, less productive, one gentleman I'm thinking of, um, he would you know he was retired and but he would take on his morning walks he would take people's newspapers from off of the sidewalk and put them on their porch and say a prayer for that family you know so that was how he made his his rounds around the neighborhood you know and and that was his that was something he was accomplishing each day Mm -hmm. for people that so that gave his life meaning let's listen to margaret the hospice patient as she shares a couple of vignettes from a life review she created with the help of a hospice volunteer. The first is from her childhood, when Margaret was an eighth grader, and she helped out with the family business at some cost to her academic pursuits. So in the eighth grade, I would go from school, which was only about ten blocks from school down to the, to the store, and wait on the table with the Rotarians and the Tijuanans and whoever was meeting there at noon, and then I would go back to school. Well, my school class on Friday afternoon was a chemistry class, and I would get there about halfway through the class, and yes, I flunked that class because I didn't know enough about chemistry. Later on, when Margaret was married, had children, and was living on her ranch, there was an incident concerning some grapes and some pigs. A grape field right up above the garage here for, what, what is it, half acre maybe? And uh, the grapes were growing, and 
So I had the kids pick the grapes and I put them in a big uh, round crock. And I had them here in the kitchen. And so after about five days, they were well fermented. And so I had one of the kids take it down, uh, or the pulp down, and I had a couple of pigs. And so the pigs ate the pulp, and they were just going all around and all around and came back up. And I told Lee when he came home from work, and he said, oh, that's all right, they're just drunk. They'll be all right tomorrow. <laughs> We will spend a lot more time with Margaret in episode two as she reflects and talks about her life. Now I want to introduce you to two physicians, Dr. Dave Cutsforth and Dr. David Grube, whose careers in family practice give them a unique perspective on the end of life. Here's Dr. Cutsforth. I think family practice has a really unique perspective about birth and life since we deliver babies and we take care of uh, of our patients until the end of their life. So we really see that whole continuum. Mm-hmm. And although I was only in practice for 39 years, you know, I did deliver hundreds of babies mm-hmm. and some of the babies I delivered, I delivered their babies and I saw their parents uh, and some of their grandparents um, have uh, fatal illnesses that um, ended up in end of life situations. And um, so that I think that gives us a continuum that other other specialties really don't have. And here's Dr. Grub. I started practice a long time ago, over 40 years ago, and that was really at the onset of some of these modern technologies that really have changed the way we die. Uh, when, to be quite honest, when I started in practice, people got sick and died. I mean, they got mm-hmm. pneumonia, and we didn't have a fancy antibiotic for it. They had heart failure, um, and we didn't have medicine for that. They got a heart attack, and they got cancer. So I lived through the the emergence of all this modern technology, interesting, um, and saw that we the situations around death changed from um, a situation of sort of an acute death to uh, a as a tool ago one day said. O-D-T-A-A, which just stands for one damn thing after another. Mm-hmm. So currently when people get sick, um, we have many mo- wonderful modern technologies that help them, but it also prolongs this experience and um, their process uh, in, in, in their decline uh, is, is lengthened and it's not an acute falling off a cliff, it's uh, you know sliding down a, a long, slow hill. Both Dr. Cutsforth and Dr. Grube emphasized how important it is for people to have conversations with their family members about what they want to have happen when they are dying, well in advance of actually entering into the end of life. I I think I had some advantages um, to see that um, birth to grave um, continuum and be connected more intensely with my patients, um, which led me to um see the importance of people preparing uh, for end of life mm-hmm. uh, because we're all going to die um, and if we if we don't make any preparations uh, then there are many um, many people who have complications um, 
and that are unexpected and, and lead to family dynamics having problems. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have an estranged child, um, if you have had problems in communication, if you, et cetera, et cetera, then when all the crises occur, um, all of that shows itself in a myriad of pathological ways. And the family that's, that has had good communication and, and have talked about what they want at the end of their life and have made it clear and everyone has agreed, that's a, that ha is a much more beautiful death and a much more, more um, I, I don't want to say normal, but more healthy uh, experience then, uh, but you know it's so interesting. The son, as I said, who hasn't talked to mom in twenty years, he wants everything. He wants, you know, six more surgeries and five more radiation treatments, um, and it's probably his guilt um, and trying to make up for all the things he never did for her. And um, yes, it it was a it was a big problem. I saw it a lot. A peaceful death on your own terms with your loved ones present. The opportunity to reflect on and make meaning of your life. Deciding what you want to have happen at the end of your life and what kinds of medical interventions you will accept. And then making sure that your desires are known to and honored by loved ones and caregivers. These are all essential components of a good death and are the focus of supports provided to patients by Lumina Hospice and Palliative Care. We will explore these through the voices of the people you have just met in subsequent episodes. At this point, I would like to introduce myself and talk a bit about how I came to be involved in this project. I'm a retired educator, and about 25 years ago, I had the opportunity to care for my mother in the last year and a half of her life. Mom had Parkinson's disease, and due to a series of strokes and other complications, she could no longer live independently, so she moved in with me. And I have to say that being a caregiver to my mom was both rewarding and challenging. It meant a lot to me to be with her and care for her, and still does, but sometimes it was almost more than I could handle. After about a year, mom's needs became so great that I could no longer provide her the care she needed, so she moved into a nursing home, and that's where she died. That experience of caring for my mom and being with her when she died kind of receded into my consciousness for the next 25 years or so. I had other things to do, children to raise, a career to pursue. So it wasn't until I retired that, as you do when you age, I started thinking about my own death. And some questions arose for me. What kind of death do I want? And how do I make sure my wishes are communicated to my family and caregivers? How can I help people who may become caregivers to a parent or other family member give their loved ones the support they need at the end of life while at the same time taking care of themselves? What does the experience of engaging with the end of life teach us about death, life, and ourselves in our roles as patient, caregiver, or family member? Seeking answers to these questions led me to propose producing a series of podcasts to Lumina Hospice and Palliative Care here in Corvallis, and they very graciously agreed. Over the past several months, I've interviewed patients, hospice employees, and hospice volunteers, and I've learned so much that has been most valuable to me, and I want to share it with you, and I hope you will find it valuable as well.
In upcoming episodes, we'll return to each of the people we have met today for more in-depth conversations about what is important in living and dying. But before we close, I'd like to share some additional quotes from three of the folks we listened to during the program that further illustrate their approach to working with patients at the end of life and what they have gained from the experience. Here in order are Marsha, Jolene, and Kayla. I have loved this work. I've found it inspiring. It can be frustrating. It can be hard, very hard at times, tiring. But um, it is also just very fulfilling. People allow you the privilege of coming into their lives at the end of their lives. And you try to use the tools you have to help them have the best quality toward the end of life. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a real gift. I had my first transition patient. Um, We discovered we both had a love of books. Um, She was probably 90. And we fell totally in love with each other. I read to her um, a book by um, the Bokoff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, that he wrote to his wife. It was a and and it was this wonderful experience of this excellent book, and we're both sharing it. And she'd heard it before, but she wanted to hear it again. She and um, we actually felt like we were sisters that had finally found each other. Amazing. She was, we were pretty close. We got, you know, I felt so lucky to have met this woman. How, like, you know, how lucky I was to have with her even momentarily in my life. But there was another time where I was at, in a, was a nursing home? Yeah, a nursing home. And I was coming in to bathe this woman, and her daughter was present. Her daughter said, well, Kayla, do you mind if I stay in while you while you bathe mom? I said, well, as long as she's comfortable and you're comfortable with it, I see no problem with it. She goes, oh, I used to take care of her. I used to shower all the time. This won't be anything. And her mom was <clears throat> not doing so well. She was moving more towards kind of actively dying. Mm. And I rolled her onto her side and her mother just grabbed her daughter's face just like this. And the daughter starts crying. You know, there's tears not... It wasn't like of sad. She wasn't sad. It wasn't that. It was, you know, she was starting to grieve. And watching someone grieve when someone else is alive is, you know, the person that they're grieving over is alive is very different as well. But she grabbed her mom. Her mom grabbed her face just like this. And then kind of like pulled her daughter's face down. She was very weak, so she didn't have much. Just gave her a little kiss and she just goes, I love you, mom. I love you. And at that point, now I have tears streaming down my face because it's just, I've just been involved in this very beautiful moment. And her daughter looked at me and said, oh, Kayla, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to to cry. I don't mean to be emotional in front of you. And I looked at her and I said, you don't need to apologize. Today, you just reminded me of why I do what I do. Well, it does seem that helping other people can be a rewarding experience in and of itself. That wraps up episode one, and I want to thank you for listening and invite you back for the next episode to spend more time with Margaret as she reviews her life and talks about how important it is for her to be at home at the end of life. Dave Chiller 
a local Corvallis musician, composed and performed the music for these programs. He is playing a hong. For more information, visit luminahospice.org.